Welcome to the Garden Angelist, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Dee Nash from Guthrie, Oklahoma. And I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana. Hello, Dee. Hello, Carol. It's great to see you again and to talk to everybody. It's great to be here. Summertime and the gardening is easy. Because we aren't doing much, except harvesting, right? No. Harvesting, (laughs) weeding. Um, But I harvested a ton. We'll talk about that when we get to the vegetable gardens. Oh, we can't talk about that yet. All right. So shall you tell the listeners about the songbird that they hear at the beginning of each podcast? Yes. So we had a listener who wanted to know what was that bird that sings at the beginning and end of the podcast. And honestly, I didn't know. I found a free clip of birds chirping and I thought that looks nice. But I got curious, and I did some online searching because I hear that same bird call in my garden. And I would look around, and I couldn't find anything. And I finally figured it out. D, it's cardinals. Which almost everybody who lives east of the Rocky Mountains has cardinals, right? I love cardinals in the garden. I love cardinals in the garden, too, but our friends that live out In California, they don't have cardinals. And we know this because one of our good friends, Leslie, who she writes a blog about growing a garden in Davis, and she loves cardinals. And so every winter, I take tons of cardinal pictures for her so that she can see them. That's right. And I know she collects cardinals, but don't everybody look her up and send her a bunch of cardinal stuff. Please don't. Unless she lived in St. Louis, because that is the baseball team. So our beautiful bird is a cardinal, and it's probably a boy, I'm guessing, because they're the ones that talk the most. I'm guessing so, too. I love to see cardinals in the garden, and I'm glad that that's what that bird is. Me, too. What? That's just serendipity, Carol. That's just serendipity. So I think you have a quote for us. I do. So here's the quote. Back in my quaint garden, jaunty zinnias vie with flaunting flocks. And D... That sentence contains every letter of the alphabet at least once, and those kinds of sentences are called pangrams. Yes, they are. We have our friend Kathy at coldclimategardening.com to thank for sending that our way. If you live in a cold climate, Kathy's blog, coldclimategardening.com, is a must-visit for information. She used to be zone four, now she's more like zone five, but it Anybody mm-hmm. suffers through winter, it's Kathy. Yeah, winter lasts a long time in her part of the world. So she has learned how to cope with it and learned which plants are hardy in right. her zone, which we, I mean, I know nothing about. You're a little colder, so you might know more than me. I do. Um, we should say that the reason people use pangrams, or at least how I learned about pangrams, was when I learned how to type on a typewriter. Right. That's what we used them for. Because they used every single letter at least once in the alphabet, so you had to type them. And, of course, the famous one is the quick brown fox jumped over the lazy dog. So I knew when Kathy told us about a pangram, I knew what she was talking about. Right. Just because of that. We should try to get everybody to stop talking about foxes and lazy dogs and instead talk about jaunty zinnias and flaunting flocks. In the quaint garden. Yes. (laughs) Today's flower is the flocks, garden flocks. 
Yes, today is garden flocks, which is Phlox paniculata, also known as tall flocks, border flocks. It's got a lot of names. It does. But it's not to be confused with the other types of flocks, like creeping flocks or woodland flocks or one of the others. Right. This one is the big, tall one you see in the borders. And if it's an old-fashioned plant, it probably also has mildew about this time of year. Indeed. And in fact, I have some of the old-fashioned ones, and they do have some mildew, although not as much as I would have expected, given the wet conditions we had all spring. In fact, they are everywhere in my garden, Dee, because they have another little bad habit. They spread. They spread. They self-sow. If If they're tended by a lazy gardener who doesn't cut off the seed heads, the seeds go everywhere. And the other day, I was looking at this shrub area. Where I know there's only shrubs, and I thought, what's blooming pink over there? And of course, <laughs> as soon as I said that, I thought, that flocks, that tricky, tricky flocks. Right, and some of the cultivars or some of the selected varieties sometimes revert back to that tricky pink or purple, the fuchsia or purple flocks, and then you find seedlings of those in your garden too. You rarely find seedlings of anything that is a named Flox paniculata. But there are some new ones out, and not only are they less prone to scatter seeds everywhere, but also they have less likelihood of mildew, powdery mildew. And I will say that my I have the fuchsia flocks and some also some named ones. And the fuchsia one has a little bit of powdery mildew, but not much, even though we had a very wet spring too. And I think it's just because it's 99 degrees out there right now. And so whatever mildew was out there is basically done. And also, I grow all of mine in full sun. Do you grow yours in full sun? Mine are in, some of them are in some partial sun, some of them are in some full sun. The ones that kind of came up on their own chose a a semi-shaded place, so they get a little bit taller in the shade, but they they do all right. So my question is, um, are you going to leave those there, or are you going to pull them up? Well... I should pull them up, but they're blooming nicely. So I'll try to remember next when I'm cutting stuff back in the fall. I do cut a few things back. I will probably rip them out then. They're just, yeah. they just add some nice color and I don't really mind them. And they're, they're tricky plants because they don't really show up unless they're flowering. It seems to me they're kind of boring until they start flowering. Yeah, here they get really tall. I mean, unless you have a variety that's short, and there are some shorter varieties. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about some varieties that I grow in my garden? Sure, and I'll tell you, I know of uh, I know of one named variety I have in my garden, and I bought another one, and I'll tell you about it after you tell me about yours. Okay, and we can see if we have some of the same ones. So I have the standard one, and then, but mine's more pink than purple. I've seen both. Um, it came from a lady out of, uh, actually out of New Orleans, but that was way before me. It got passed around all of Oklahoma, and I pass it around too. Then there's Phlox Gina, J-E-A-N-A, which is probably one of my favorites. I found it a little hard to get started here, but I've worked at it pretty hard, and now I've got a good stand of it in several places. And I chose it because it's a really high nectar plant. It has a lot more florets on the actual uh, flower head and so they're smaller it doesn't look like a big standard phlox it's got a smaller smaller uh, bloom and then our floret 
And then, but it's really liked by butterflies, although all flux is liked by butterflies. And then um, I have bright eyes, which I've had for a long time. A friend gave it to me, and it does really well. And it has a really bright little eye, and that helps the pollinators find it. It's very popular. In fact, I see a butterfly out flying right now. And then I have John Fanick, which I worked really hard to get too. It's a Texas superstar, and I think it was found in Texas by a plant hunter. And it, we, I could not find it in Oklahoma, so um, I thought about going down to Texas to get it, but I never went there when it was blooming. So then I went to the Tulsa Master Gardeners flower sale in the spring, and I found it there. So I have two stands of it. I'm trying to think of anything else I have. Oh, I have one called, I think, Cherry Cream. Okay. It's new. It's short. It's very short. It's it's about its third year in the garden, and I would say it only gets maybe two feet tall. Maybe. The gnat's really stretching it. It's very pretty, though. And then I've got a couple others that I'll be honest. Over the years, I lost the tags. Well, that means that the variety now is called Lost Tag. I have a lot of those. I have a lot of those. Yeah. So in my garden, I have a white phlox called David. It's completely white um, and makes a nice contrast because there's not many white flowers that bloom this time other than the big hydrangeas. Right. And here's the thing about David. I can't grow it to save my life. Really? I used to grow Mount Fuji instead. I know everybody in the United States can grow David Phlox, but I cannot grow it. (laughs) And I don't know why, and I've tried multiple times, and I just decided I didn't care. And for a while, I grew Mount Fuji, but it just gets too much mildew. So it's another white one, but very mildew proficient instead of resistant. David seems to do pretty well and seems to be mildew resistant in my garden. It is. And I have a nice stand of it that I know I planted for sure. And then there's another stand on the other side of the garden that I think just sort of magically appeared, which is fine. Yeah. And then yeah. the other flocks that I bought this spring, I bought one called Flame Red because it's supposed to be almost red. And I thought that uh-huh. would be really, really pretty. And I don't know where it's at right now. So either somebody forgot to water <laughs> it and it... After all the rain. And can I just pause for a minute? So it rained sure. and rained and rained and rained all spring. And then right around too. right around the beginning of July, it just sort of stopped for about two weeks. Yep. And I went out to my garden and I went, oops, because some of the stuff that I had planted, um, yeah. well, it was really not very happy that it hadn't rained for about two weeks. So I was out there with like emergency watering, trying to see if these plants would revive. And I think most of them will be okay. But uh-huh. I kind of said and in my mind, even though I have no science behind it, I feel like some of the plants got so big, they because the, the rain was so plentiful, they outgrew their roots. And then as soon as it dried so. up, man, they just didn't have the roots to support all the growth that they had. Their leaves... Got too big for their roots. So they got too big for their bridges. Exactly. In other words. But anyway, so I'm anxious to see Flame Red, which I think I will see blooming next year. Okay, good luck with that. Every time I've tried to, I got two things, I got two comments on this. One is that that is a normal Oklahoma summer, that if it rains at all in the spring, it just stops. And in July, we're having the second driest July since we've kept historical records. And we had the wettest spring. So... Bizarre, bizarre prairie climate, and, you know, that's why I use drip irrigation. Number, so I'm trying to feel sorry for you that it didn't rain for two weeks, but 
it's hard from here. I'm just saying. <laughs> okay. And we actually, we had a little, we've had rain since then. I mean, like, I got like four inches overnight one night a couple of weeks ago. And if our... If people could see my face right yeah. now, it it's a mixture of... Because that's not going to happen here. Until September, if we're lucky. Um, it did sprinkle this morning here, but that was just a tease. Um, nature was messing with me. We had a thunderstorm that went through right before we started this. Oh, that's right. Because you almost didn't have internet. All right. And the, the second comment I have is... I've tried red floxes, not that particular one, but other red floxes, which aren't really red. They're just a really dark pink. Um, and I've tried orange. I mean, I've tried, yeah, I went through a stage where I bought a lot of unusual ones, and they all didn't make it here. So I'm going to say a little, you know, <laughs> a little bowing of my head that yours Thank you. The other one, uh, and I don't have the name, so I, I shouldn't really talk about it on a podcast, but I also tried a variegated leaf blocks and oh, I did that too. it was it was really nice for about two or three years and then it completely reverted to plain green and many variegated yeah. plants will do that they'll start out variegated and then if the gardener doesn't watch it there'll be green shoots that come up and then the green shoots will be much more robust than those variegated ones they'll completely take over right because variegation is often a weakness in a plant um, it's an aberration, and so they're not as strong as the straight species, whatever that is. And yes, I have the same problem right now on, some, on a different type of plant that is re- trying to revert back. And I'm trying to decide, do I care? I haven't decided yet. Right. I'll let you know. So we should wrap up this whole segment on flocks to say that they are tall. Got it. They do well with sun, partial shade. It is an old-fashioned flower. It is a native flower. Hummingbirds love them. Sphinx moths love them. They have a nice summer scent. There's not a lot of plants with summer scent. They like well-drained fertile soil. They will self-sow a bit in the garden, but they're very much worthwhile to have in your perennial border. I think they're worthwhile, yeah. They attract butterflies, moths, and hummingbirds. That's all we need to say right there. Oh, and they bloom in the summer when it's hotter than Hades. So those two things alone, we should say, you know, everybody should grow some phlox. Phlox, the plant that everyone... If you live near me, I'll... <laughs> Don't start offering near plants, me. D. You'll have people calling you all over. <laughs> hey, I, where do you live? Okay, I... okay, okay. Never mind. Um, but in spring, we can talk. Okay, go ahead. All right. Well, that's enough about flocks, don't you think? I do. I think that's great. So let's move on to our vegetable. And I have a quote this time. Go for it. Knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. And that's by Brian O'Driscoll. And he's an Irish rugby player. He's retired. I don't know when he said this in reference to rugby, but I loved it, so I did it. Well, and So tomatoes. The interesting thing is when I go to family reunions, people ate tomatoes plain one of three ways. Plain, which is my preference, with salt, which is like half Mine. people's preference. And then there were... That's my preference. There were some of my relatives who had to have sugar on their tomatoes. That's weird. That's, it just sounds just terrible. 
Oh, it sounds disgusting. There's enough There's enough tomato varieties out there that you could find one that's sweet. You don't need it for... Actually, I like tomatoes that have more acid anyway, so I'm kind of acidic, an acidic tomato eater. But today, we're not just discussing tomatoes. We're discussing tomato troubles, because this is the time of year when those troubles really show oh, up. Oh, yes. And people... <laughs> People want to feel like the, the cornerstone of the garden, and we say the cornerstone of your vegetable garden is your tomato plants, and it seems like it'd be the easiest thing in the world to grow, but you can have tomato troubles like nobody's business, and we have a laundry list of them. So to start out, I'll say a few, and you say All right. Few, okay? So blight, early and late. Septoria leaf spot, blossom end rot. Hornworms, stink bugs. And don't forget, this time of year, what really happens to tomatoes? Because the tomato plant's growing pretty good, right? Well, what my tomato problem is going to be is I'm going to have too many in a bit. Okay, well, that's not the problem in Oklahoma, really. Although one of my friends, she grew uh, some determinate tomatoes, and so she had a lot of extras, so I'm going to take them to my mom tomorrow. I didn't, and we can discuss more about that later. But right now in Oklahoma, if you're growing tomatoes, it's been 99 degrees for several days. That almost always triggers blossom blossom drop. Yeah. And so people get sad about, because you've nurtured this stupid plant all through spring, dealt with blossom end rot because we had weird watering in the beginning of the spring. And we've talked about that on a previous podcast, but now it's hotter than Hades because I can't say bad words. And you've got blossom drop. And that's because the pollen, it has to do with the pollen. Right. And here in Indiana, fortunately, the uh, over 99 degrees and all that, that's usually not a problem for us. It gets hot, but it doesn't get that hot. Right. And I gets hot here. I never have problems with stink bugs or shield bugs here. That's not a problem. I have a huge problem with those here. And so I pull them off or if it I mean if it were early in the spring and I catch them, it's harder to catch them then because the tomatoes are green. But they like to suck the juices out of the tomato underneath the skin. You can still eat the tomatoes. Um, but what I like to do is grab them off the plant, throw the stink bug on the ground, and stomp on it. I feel like I'm justified. Yeah, and I same thing with Violent. hornworms. You got to really look hard to find the hornworms because they blend in so well. But it's very satisfying to find it, pick it off, and kill it. And the easiest way to find a hornworm is the poop, because if you look below your tomato plant and there's a whole bunch of big poop. We're talking large poop for a caterpillar because it's a large caterpillar. Um, you can find the hornworm because all you got to do is look for the stem and the fact that there aren't any leaves in that section. So for most of the insects, you're, in your case, stink bugs. In both of our cases, hornworms. The best control is to find yeah. them and pick them off. Right. And then you can cut the hornworm in half. You can do whatever you want to. Some people don't kill them, but I do. I used to love to feed them to my chickens. So let's talk about... Something that a lot of people think is a disease, but it's not really a disease, and that's blossom end rot. Yeah, we discussed this in an earlier podcast when it was raining buckets at our house forever, and it has to do with calcium uptake by the plant. Right, and it's often something that you see um, earlier in the season, and if you have inconsistent amounts of water, and it's sometimes it's some varieties more than others. I rarely see blossom end rot on cherry tomatoes. 
I always see it on my first Roma tomatoes, and I don't usually have the problem on the bigger beefsteak tomatoes. Occasionally, I have it on the mid-sized tomatoes in addition to the Romas, but not as much on beefsteaks, but I think that's partly because they start to really gear up and start to produce fruit when that rain situation kind of settles itself Exactly. Down. That's my theory. So I don't have much problem with those. I have more trouble with cracking on the big tomatoes because of, you know, inconsistent watering. And um, there's, there's some different things that can happen. But here's the thing. Other than blossom end rot, you can still eat the tomato. Right. And you... It's just, you'll have to cut off the bad right, parts. Right. Right. And so you could just, the blossom end rot kind of resolves itself if you give consistent watering. So you can just throw those out. But let's talk about all the diseases. All the blight. <laughs> okay, so there's so there's so many diseases, and um, I, I well, you you can start if you want to, and then we can discuss how you can keep that from happening. So the, the thing about tomato diseases is, if you grow tomatoes, you are going to encounter a blight, which is usually the leaves turn yellowish and then brown, or septoria leaf spot. The leaves get brown spots on them, and there. And then, turn, and then brown. turn brown. You are not going to spray for these and get rid of them. Mm-mm. So early on, you can pick off the leaves that have the blight and throw them away. Don't put them in the compost. And if you have a plant, and I had a, tom- a cherry tomato that was so blighted about three weeks ago, I thought, you're ruining the garden. You are gone. And I, th- I pulled it out and I threw it in the trash. And when I say throw it in the trash... I mean, in a trash bag and at the curb, and in our city, that's burned in the incinerator, which is the best thing that can happen to it. Right. You don't want to put it in your compost pile because, of course, it will spread more disease spores. So there's that. And then next year, so if you've had trouble with these and they really bother you, I mean, I'm still pulling leaves off my tomatoes, but I grew a whole bunch of heirlooms this year. And when you grow heirloom tomatoes, you tend to have more trouble with some of these problems. Um, and there's there's so many problems. I'm going to run down them really quickly. There's verta... Did you say verticillium? Verticillium. Verticillium, verticillium. Wilt, Fusarium wilt. Then there's fusarium wilt races one and two, and then there's fusarium races one, two, and three, and there's nematodes, and altenaria, and tobacco mosaic virus, and stemphilium, which is gray leaf spot, and tomato-spotted wilt virus. That's That's just... That's some of the ones that you can actually buy hybrids if you want to. And many hybrid tomatoes have resistance to some or all of these. And so you, in Oklahoma, I say, if you want nice round red tomatoes, you know, and you want a bunch at one time, get a determinate hybrid that has resistance to everything, and you'll see a whole lot less problems fewer problems. However, you won't get, um, like this one tomato I have, which is that 18, I think it's 1884 yellow pink heart. That tomato is a highly productive heirloom, but it does have a, it does have some leaf blight. I just pull off the leaves because it keeps right. growing and growing and growing because it's indeterminate, right? So exactly. my suggestion is buy some of each, you know, if you've got room in your garden, if you don't, if you don't have much room, then you might want to just buy hybrids in Oklahoma. Now, I want to know what you think in Indiana. I think in Indiana that um, you should look on the tags and the, 
and buy hybrids. If you have a lot of problems with blights and it just seems like your tomatoes don't thrive, buy hybrids that have resistance to these diseases and you'll be all right. And I, I still think there's some great hybrids out there like Big Boy. There are. And, you know, that almost have been around for so long. I mean, my dad grew Big Boy back in the 70s and 60s. Well, Rutgers. Rutgers. I've got Rutgers. And they've got improved versions of Rutgers now. Um, There's a bunch of hybrids that are actually really good. And the truth is, a homegrown tomato is really good. It doesn't matter. No matter what tomato... Right. It doesn't matter which tomato you grow. My friend it loves Juliet, which is another hybrid that produces a lot. It's a mid-sized tomato that produces a whole bunch of tomatoes quickly, right? right? And um, it's not my favorite tomato. I think of it as kind of a radial tread tire tomato, just basic. But you know what? It's still a darn good tomato. I had it in gazpacho last night. It was delicious. So if you're worried about blights, Hybrids might be the way to go. I do some of each. And this year I went all crazy and did a bunch of heirlooms and a few of the other. And I can tell you that the ones that are hybrid have all their leaves. That's true. And the other thing, and we talked about this in a prior podcast, is you can buy grafted heirloom tomatoes where they have taken a wild rootstock and grafted a seedling of an heirloom to it. And it produces a very robust plant. And right. so that may be the way to go, but it is an expensive way to go. So, but it's, but if you have a lot of problems with diseases and things like that, and your tomatoes aren't thriving, you may want to try some grafted tomatoes next summer. Especially if you have root, not nematodes. They are very, very hard on tomatoes. And I have three grafted ones and they're all doing fine. A couple of them still have some leaf, leaf blight because essentially they're heirlooms. They're just more vigorous heirlooms. Um, we should also say that people should rotate their crops. Don't plant tomatoes in the same place each right. year. Move them. Move them around to different spaces. And preferably not in a nightshade, any of the nightshades. So don't put them where you had potatoes. Potatoes, peppers, and eggplant are all in the nightshade family. Right. So find another spot. Um, Put them where you had the okra. (laughs) Yeah, where something else grew. And also, make sure you have good, well-drained, amended soil. It just makes everything grow better, and it makes it easier. So, But Carol's getting ready to have a whole bunch of tomatoes, so are you going to make gazpacho? Probably not. I might get some and make some sauces, and then I'll probably make some salsa. And I'll eat a bunch of them, and I'll give some away. But I'm just now starting to get a lot of tomatoes. So it's exciting. Yeah, I'm not getting a lot. I'm getting a few at a time. But I did come home. Well, we were going to discuss that, our, our harvest. I came home from vacation, and there I had lots and lots of vegetables, period. I had a whole bunch of eggplant. Um, I had a bunch of tomatoes. My green beans didn't do well. So I didn't have any of those. Oh, peppers. I had a lot of peppers. What, have you, what did you harvest yesterday? So today? this morning I picked um, I green beans, and this is probably the last of the green beans from this planting. I picked uh, the first cucumbers. Even though my plants are small, I got some cucumbers. I have more peppers than I would ever know what to do with. I have cherry tomatoes. I picked some of my first bigger tomatoes. What else did I pick? Um, I could have picked okra, but I didn't know what to do with it. So I thought, I'm just going to leave it. It might just be decorative. You don't know what to do with okra? Well, I know what to do with okra, but I didn't feel like 
cutting up the okra and I would just, I would fry it. And I didn't feel like doing that. Yeah, well, I would fry it too because you know what? If I have fresh okra that I grew, I'm definitely frying it the first time for sure because it is really good. And you know how my my uh, stepmom taught me to use instead of do you dip your okra in milk or anything or egg, uh, milk egg mixture and then cornmeal. Okay, so mine's different. I um, she taught me to do egg whites and beat the egg whites until they were stiff, like three. And then you roll the, you know, you gently fold the okra into that. And then you put on the cornmeal and it's the crispiest, best okra I ever made. It does. It has very little uh, cornmeal on it. You need to try it. It's good. I will try that because usually what happens is I text my aunt and say, remind me again how to fix fried eggplant. And then I just have it once a year. Also picked eggplant. I have a lot of eggplant, which I love fried. You know what I did with the eggplant the other day that was, you did, do you put flour on your eggplant? Uh, I usually use cracker meal. Okay. I didn't do anything on mine. What I did is I just got it really, really hot in my pan with a little oil in it, but not a lot, just like stir fry. Right. And then I laid the okra across it. It's a nonstick pan. And I mean, not okra. I got to talking about okra eggplant. I laid it across it, small cubes. And, um, I kind of did it the way they do in the Thai restaurant but I just let it sit until it got crunchy on that side, and then I stirred it. And my husband said it was the best eggplant I ever made. And you know what? It was lower in calories. Just FYI. You know, I might, I might try that. I got a bunch of eggplant. So this, so this particular episode of our show is all about recipes, too. Apparently. Apparently. Recipes are big, I guess. So the good thing is, the best tomato trouble to have, if we can wrap up tomato troubles, is to have too yeah. many tomatoes. Yeah. And too many of everything else. You can always share with other people. Right. So let's move on to dirt. Yeah, the dirt is kind of stressful today. Well, yeah. So we were talking the other day, and we said, and I've showed this to other gardeners too, if you see something in the garden, say something. If you see a bug, a weird plant disease, or something else you don't recognize, it is worth the time to try to figure out what it is. Take a picture of it. Take a picture of it. If you can't figure it out on the internet, and there's Facebook groups that will try to help identify bugs and stuff, you might have been stumbled upon like the next invasive bug that the cooperative extension service in your area is looking for. And so you talked about rose rosette disease back mm-hmm. on previous podcasts and how you had it and recognized it before it was really publicized a lot by the extension services? It wasn't publicized at all by the extension services. They didn't know anything about it yet. So, yes. And and, and nobody knew about it yet. It, was, it got in my garden early. So, lucky me. All right, yes. So, you should contact your local cooperative extension service if you think you have something weird. Like, if you put it up on Facebook on one of those groups that identifies things and somebody says, whoa, whoa, whoa. You've got some weird thing, like a weird creature or whatever. Then go ahead and contact them because they need to know when there's a problem. And there was a problem both in Indiana and Oklahoma this year. There was. We had some rhododendron plants that were offered at some of the big box stores. Um, I, I guess I'll name them here. It was Walmart and Rural King. And they found out those rhododendrons were carriers of a fungal pathogen called sudden oak disease. Right. And, and in Oklahoma, 
They were at Home Depot. I'm just going to say where they were so that people know. Okay, so they were, and why you'd be buying a rhododendron in Oklahoma or Indiana really makes no sense, but I digress. Go ahead. Look, it's a fungal pathogen. It's a fungal pathogen, and if the rhododendron was planted within like six feet of an oak tree, which you might do because well, yeah. rhododendrons tend to like shade, <laughs> then you could infect the tree with sudden oak disease, which is not particularly prevalent in Indiana, nor do we want it to become prevalent in Indiana. It's mostly prevalent on the West Coast, especially in Washington State and Oregon. Which, So when you brought this up, I didn't know about this. I mean, I know about sudden oak death, but um, I didn't know that this was a problem this spring. So I did some more research because you found out that the plants in Indiana came from a nursery in Oklahoma. That's right. And I thought, those Oklahomans sending those diseased plants... (laughs) And, and what I thought when you said it was, how the heck did that happen? Because um, it just didn't make any sense to me because it's not a real prevalent thing. So I looked up the nursery, and the nursery actually got those plants as small plants from Washington State and Canada. And then they exactly. finished them off. And when they finished them off and then shipped them out where they were supposed to be shipped, that's when it was found and it was found here, and it was also found in Indiana. Maybe it found some other places that those plants went. So actually, they all had to be destroyed, and they had to do public service announcements. So also consider this a PSA. If you bought a rhododendron, I have no idea why you would, for earlier this spring in Oklahoma, you need to take some pictures of it and see if it has that disease and send them on to the local extension service. And the same thing in Indiana. They sell a lot of rhododendrons. They're very pretty in the spring with the blooms. And here in Indiana, rhododendrons, people do plant them. They will last a couple of years, but they never really thrive. Although I know of some really big ones in a few places, but it's not the first choice shrub you should buy. And again, if you got one. Yeah, there's so many other worthy shrubs. Yeah. If you got one in Indiana and you bought it at Walmart or Rural King, you should um, take a picture of it. You should get it destroyed. And by destroy, we mean throw it in the trash or take your money back. I think most of those stores are giving people refunds. And I think the interesting too. thing is the sudden oak disease causes brown leaves on the rhododendron, but it does not kill the rhododendron. It kills the oak. Right. So. Yeah. And oaks have had enough trouble in our yeah. state for sure. Um, and mo- many of our native trees are types of oak trees, and they've had enough trouble because we've had some really difficult conditions that they've had to grow under. So we definitely don't no. want to make their lives harder or shorter. And around here, they've had problems with oak wilt. And yeah. so that kind of is our announcement, or not announcement, but our advice is if you see something, figure out what it is. If you can't figure it out, call your local cooperative extension service to get help. And most of them have helplines, and they want to know about this stuff. So don't be afraid to call them. Yeah, don't be. Don't ever be afraid to call um, your local extension service or the Master Gardener program if it is, like ours is affiliated with our, our cooperative extension service. And they answer, they have people who answer questions, and they do want to help you. Right, because your tax dollars paid for it already. So that's really all we got today. Flocks, tomato troubles, and see something, say something. 
So we can tell everybody that you can reach us so many different ways. We are on Facebook as the Garden Angelus. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram where we try to post a few pictures of things that we talk about each week. Um, it, we are on Buzzsprout. And we are now on iTunes through the Apple Podcast. And we're on Spotify. Name the other ones that we're on. We're on uh, Listen Listen In, I think. I don't know. I'll put a link to them all on our on our website. Yeah. TheGardenAngelist.com. Right. There ought to be a great way to listen to us. And um, we would love it if you guys if you guys listen to us through Apple Podcasts and maybe Google Play for that matter. If you give us a good review, that'd be awesome. And most importantly, tell your friends to listen to The Garden Angelist every week. Same place, same time. It was great chatting with you over the Garden Gate, Carol. And you as well. Bye now. Bye.